From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome to the Audio Imaginaria. My name is Richard Serrett. This is The Conspiracy Show. Congratulations, you found us. And before we get started, a big welcome to KBUFAM in Wichita, Kansas. Come on down, uh, a brand new affiliate and I believe they will be joining the uh, the broadcast beginning uh, July the 6th. Uh, so in a couple of weeks, we'll uh, we'll say how do to KBUFAM all over again. Anyway, uh, the hits just keep on coming. I believe we are closing in on about two dozen uh, U.S. affiliates. It, it comes, it goes up and down a little bit. We get we get 25, 26, and then uh, a station in Texas switches to all sports. And then, you know, we get knocked down a peg. But we're climbing that hill slowly, and eventually we'll get to that magic number, whatever it is. Um, however, very, very pleased to have KBUFAM Wichita join the Conspiracy Show. And thanks for adding us to your programming schedule. Just got back from uh, Chinatown here in Toronto. Had a wonderful dinner with uh, the great Jim Mars and uh, dear friends Patrick and Kadena from Conspiracy Culture. Uh, I had the honor of emceeing Jim's event uh, this afternoon at the Blur Cinema here in Toronto, where Jim delivered a real, it was a gobsmacker, man, just a remarkable presentation entitled Our Hidden History from Ancient Astronauts to 9-11. Ancient Astronauts to 9-11. I tell you, he covered a lot of ground. Essentially, what Jim did, did was he, he took his, his book, Rule by Secrecy, uh, which is a great primer for those of you interested in this vast area of inquiry, uh, and he condensed it into a one-hour PowerPoint presentation. He covered, as I say, a lot of ground in about an hour. And then after the event, event, we took everyone across the street to the uh, Popper's Pub, where we hoisted a few jars with uh, one of the foremost JFK assassination researchers alive today. And, uh, and incidentally, thanks to those of you who came up to me and, and, uh, and said hello and, and um, told me how much you enjoyed the, uh, the radio program. It was great meeting you. Uh, I remember reading Rule by Secrecy. Uh, many years ago, and my world view got turned upside down. I mentioned this at the event today, uh, and it's so true. And um, in particular, the passage about the Korean conflict, where a certain Russian officer, I believe his name was General Vasilov, he was the one that gave the order for the North Koreans to cross over the 38th parallel in June of 1951, and thus began the uh, the Korean conflict, the police action, right? It wasn't an actual war. Uh, anyway, in the book, Jim details how uh, Vasilev's chain of command went from Korea to Moscow, and then on to the UN's Undersecretary General for Politics and Security Matters, another Russian who is uh, a General Zinchenko. Meanwhile, General Douglas MacArthur, who's of course leading the, the UN forces in South Korea, his chain of command goes from Korea to Washington, of course, to President Truman, and then on to the UN Undersecretary General, you got it, the same Zinchenko. So essentially, Zinchenko is coordinating both sides of the war. And of course, history, as we've learned, is replete with examples like this. And as Jim Mars points out, World War I, and the Warburg, Warburg brothers. Which brings us to Iraq. Which is, uh, I'm wondering, is this a repeat? Another case of uh, 
one side, in, in fact, controlling both sides in a conflict. You've probably re- been hearing a lot about ISIS and the rise of the Islamic State of Iraq and the Levant with its multi-pronged assault across central and northern Iraq in the past one and a half weeks. ISIS has taken over from the Al-Qaeda organization founded by Osama bin Laden as the most powerful and effective extreme jihadi group in the world. ISIS now controls or can operate with impunity in a great stretch of territory in western Iraq and eastern Syria, making it, making it militarily the most successful jihadi movement ever, according to the New Zealand Herald. While its exact size is unclear, the group is thought to include thousands of fighters. The last S in ISIS comes from the Arabic word al-Sham, meaning Levant, Syria, or occasionally Damascus, depending on the circumstances. Led since 2010 by Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, also known as Abu Dua, it's, a, it's proved itself even more violent and sectarian than what U.S. officials call the core al-Qaeda, led by al-Zawahiri, who is based in Pakistan. ISIS is highly fanatical, killing Shia Muslims and Christians whenever possible, as well as militarily efficient and under tight direction by top leaders. So I thought for the next 40 minutes or so, we'll delve into Iraq. Who is behind ISIS? What is ISIS all about? Webster Griffin Tarpley is one of the most incisive critics of Anglo-American hegemony. As an active historian, he's best known for his book, George Bush, The Unauthorized Biography, a masterpiece of research, which is still a must-read. And, of course, his other books include the uh, masterwork, 9-11 Synthetic Terror, Made in the USA. And uh, we're delighted to have him back on the program this time around to talk about Iraq. Webster Tarpley, how are you, my friend? Thank you, Richard. Thank you for having me. Uh, just give us a sense of, um, uh, you know, we're, we're told that even al-Qaeda uh, finds the tactics of ISIS too unsavory, which <laughs> <laughs> which says a lot, I suppose. But give us some insights into the, I suppose, the M.O. Uh, of, of uh, this group ISIS, and then we'll find the, out. The stuff about too much for al-Qaeda, I think, is a kind of marketing by hyperbole. What you notice is um, a great desire of the Anglo-American controlled media to build up these people, right? The supermen, 10 feet tall, advancing like Tamerlane or Guderian, right? Nothing can stand in their way. And, of course, you can see what it is. Uh, This is a highly artificial organization. Why don't we start with ownership? It's generally understood that the boss, the immediate um, tactical commander of ISIS, uh, one step above this Baghdadi is a Saudi prince because the Saudis, of course, pay for it, right? The money comes from Saudi Arabia, and the guy who um, who funds it and therefore has the ultimate say is Abu, Abd, uh, sorry, Abdul Rahman Faisal. Now, this is a very important family. He's one of the sons of the late King Faisal. He has two brothers that are notable. One is Prince Saud al-Faisal, who has been the foreign minister of Saudi Arabia for 30 or 40 years now. And we've also got then Prince Turkey al-Faisal, who has been ambassador to London and to, uh, to Washington. And then we have this Abdul Rahman Faisal, who is a graduate of the British 
Military Academy at Sandhurst, right? The British version of West Point or Saint-Cyr for the um, for the French. So that's uh, the the control. Now, where do they come from as individuals? They are, of course, the typical cross section of the the jihadis and uh, fanatics of the entire Islamic world, right? From Morocco to Indonesia, from Chechnya to to Somalia, and so forth. But uh, in particular, they have been trained by NATO. And I have articles here from uh, Der Spiegel of Hamburg, uh, repeated then in Reuters, and also from the London Guardian that point out that these um, forces, and it's about uh, 10,000 is the target, right, which seems to be the the number of uh, of these ISIS people, were being trained at the classic base in Jordan. And they were being trained by the CIA, by the British uh, MI6 and the Special Air Services, by the French DGSE, uh, and, of course, the money coming from, from Saudi Arabia. They've also enjoyed a great deal of support from Turkey. We had uh, one of the preludes to the Ghouta chemical warfare incident of last August, which was, of course, a sham, right, a, a fraud, uh, was that a group of ISIS came storming out of southwest Turkey to attack the Syrian city of Latakia there on the Mediterranean coast where Turkey and uh, and Syria meet, south of the city of Alexandretta, I believe. And there, these ISIS killers massacred groups of Alawite children, Christian children, and others. And apparently those are the cadavers that were put on display in the um, films that were used to try to popularize the notion of a Ghouta uh, chemical weapons massacre last uh, August. After that, these ISIS fighters were then shipped across southern Turkey and uh, put across the border into Syria near the city of Raqqa, which is a, it's the province that is the farthest in the northeast of, uh, of, uh, of Syria, so that they could then uh, go across the border. Now, remember that U.S. Ambassador John Negroponte, whose name is synonymous with death squads, right, since his activities in Central America, and his disciple, Ambassador Robert Ford, who superintended the building up of the, of the current crop of death squads in Syria, uh, they had been scheming since 10 years ago, say, or almost 10 years ago, to try to set up a force of ISIS, or well, in this case, Al-Qaeda-style Sunni, Salafi, Wahhabi, Takfiri um, fighters that could be used against uh, the governments that they wanted to topple. So this is, this is what has been attacking uh, Assad in Syria, and it's the, it's the same operation, which has now gone, gone across the border into Iraq. As far as Baghdadi is concerned, right? he was, of course, a U.S. prisoner of war, from 2005 to 2009, and I like to say he has a four-year degree. He's got a diploma from the U.S. as a brainwashed patsy, because once you're a U.S. POW, I hope everybody realizes that the way you get out of that is you become a double agent working for the U.S., and we've seen that with uh, Kumu in Libya, with Shiri in Yemen, and now with Belhaj also in Libya, and now we've got we've got the case of Baghdadi. These are people that are retooled, reconfigured, redirected 
to go and attack the people that the U.S. wants them uh, to attack, and they, and they prosper uh, in doing so. So this entire thing is it's a fraud, uh, you, you could say, but it's also a fraud that has a certain uh, reality. Now, the, the other thing I would point to is the notion that the Iraqi forces ran away, and we've, we're hearing about how, how they all uh, disappeared. Um, there's a very interesting French historian, Anila Quarry, who has proven, I think, beyond any doubt, that the French generals who let the Nazis uh, roll over France with their blitzkrieg in May and June of 1940, most of those generals did this deliberately. In other words, these were French generals who actually preferred Hitler to the French Socialist Party uh, government that they, they felt was uh, oppressing them. In this case, I would say many of these Iraqi generals are bribed by the CIA. The, the word we're getting is that the soldiers say, we were told by our generals and by our officers that we should run away. So All it right. starts with the with the officers. Now, Hang on, Webster. I've got to jump in here. We've got uh, the music coming up, which uh, is okay. my cue that we're going to head into a break. On the other side, we'll continue to discuss ISIS. Who are they? Who's behind them? Mm-hmm. And wither Iraq. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Stay a while. Shaking the world and seeing what falls. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. We are talking about uh, ISIS. Uh, and I don't, I don't know if you've seen these videos, but, but this group, horrifically violent, uh, we've, these professionally made propaganda videos that, that show ISIS forcing families with sons in the Iraqi army to dig their own graves before they're shot. And the message here seems to be that ISIS enemies can expect uh, no mercy. So we're trying to figure out who is ISIS, who's behind them, and what do they want, what do they hope to achieve. Uh, Webster Tarpley is uh, with us, philosopher of uh, history uh, and a uh, uh, an author. Uh, let's... Um, I want to go back to uh, the source of uh, the story. You're saying that Der Spiegel and other um, groups or other organizations, uh, other newspapers in Europe are reporting that ISIS was trained in Jordan. They they reported this in March of 2013, that that a a training camp in Jordan was busily preparing these people. Now, of course, they they said these are supposed to be uh, non-sectarian, in other words, not Salafis, not... Um, not Sunni fanatics, but that's, of course, just um, a a slight matter of redirection. You know, the the Free Syrian Army no longer exists. This was funny. This was uh, all of last year we were told by the CIA that General Salim Idris and his secular friends were going to be the counterbalance to al-Qaeda and Nusra and the Islamic Front and all the rest of them. And this, this has now simply disintegrated any weapons that had been given to the FSA would indeed now or are in the hands of uh, al-Qaeda. Idris fled to Qatar in February. Uh, his number two is now in Sweden. And the number uh, the number three, I think, is in the Netherlands. That guy's the founder of the entire thing. So it's completely gone. So they retooled that and turned it into this uh, this grouping that you uh, that you see now, which is what it was anyway all the time. Interesting to see why. First of all, the Syrian uh, civil war is being lost by the NATO uh, puppets. In other words, the be it the the Saudi paid or the French paid, any any way you want to cut it, 
they're losing. Assad is winning. The city of Homs has been liberated. The city of Aleppo has been liberated. So the the uh, the guerrillas and, and killers in Syria have been pushed more and more out of the uh, inhabited areas and into the somewhat uh, arid regions of north uh, northeast Syria. There's also a question of the overflights, right? If you seize control of northern Iraq, then the Iranians can no longer send uh, plane loads of assistance to Assad, to Hezbollah, and to uh, and to their own revolutionary guard forces that are that are engaged inside uh, Syria. Well, this is where it gets um, strange for me, Webster, and I need you to sort this out for me. Why is the United States talking about working with Iran uh, to uh, to stem the tide of of ISIS? What's going on there? I think this is this is a kind of um, unavoidable uh, byproduct. Uh, I, I think the the principal goal is this to get bombing. I would watch somebody like McCain. McCain seems to be the spokesman of this warmonger clique that is behind it. And I'll try to say exactly who those are. But McCain has been saying, bomb now, bomb now. And if you listen to McCain and Lindsey Graham of South Carolina and um, some others, they also say once the bombing starts, it has to be extended into Syria immediately. And of course, then they will undoubtedly cheat in other words they won't they wouldn't just bomb the bases of isis they would start bombing assad which has been the thing that they've they've wanted so it's a it's a back door to the war with uh, syria and of course on the other side you could also begin saying well once we're bombing northern iraq again maybe we'll uh, have a few of those go astray into iran and then it becomes very very uh, dangerous i i would say that the group behind this is um is is mad as hatters, in other words, mad as March hares, and and here's here's what I have in mind. There are three coups that are uh, aimed at with this ISIS. One is the coup to overthrow Assad, right? To finally get, uh, get rid of the Assad regime, which I I I think is not wise because this happens to represent the only chance for something that looks like civilization in Syria. It'll be an, it'll be another Libya. Terrible. It'll be total lawlessness there. It'll be it'll be something perhaps even worse because the the the, the criminal energy in in Syria is, is maybe greater. There's also a hope of overthrowing Maliki, right? The the West has been screaming about Maliki. They want to demonize him. They want to blame him for everything. It's ridiculous because the people that he was supposed to negotiate with never wanted to negotiate with him, right? The Sunnis consider the Shiites in Iraq to be second-class uh, citizens, right? It's a very strong, deeply rooted prejudice. But the coup that interests me the most is the one here in Washington, because the goal of all of this is to finally get control of Obama and make him into what he has been reluctant to be, and that is a, a warmonger, a, uh, an aggressor. Uh, Obama, of course, typically is a weak, passive president, but if you look at his response to the recent crises, uh, you can see that the U.S. ruling class is apoplectic with rage. There is a war psychosis here, and it goes something like this. They say, we wanted to bomb Syria, and you, Obama, got in the way. You let Putin avoid the bombing of Syria. They also say, we never wanted to negotiate with Iran. We wanted to bomb Iran. And here again, Obama, you've got this 
negotiation going, and this is unacceptable. And they're also and saying if you hadn't pulled out those troops from Iraq, we'd have more options. We'd have boots on the ground now. Yes, we'd have options. Of course, that, that, was, uh, that was Maliki at the time, right, under domestic pressure, which you can see. You can imagine how much domestic pressure there was. Get those Americans out of here forever, and none of them remain. And that was, that was their position. This was nothing... Nothing that Obama could change, as far as I can see. There was also quite a bit of pressure of U.S. public opinion saying, no, no, not 10, not 15, not even one. Get them all out. There's, a, there's also a huge embassy and, and, and quite a few hundred uh, Marines and, and others. But the, uh, the other one, of course, that, that weighs heavily on the U.S. ruling elite is Ukraine. Right? They feel tremendously humiliated that they haven't been able to deliver for the this um, this neo-Nazi clique in Lvov and in in Kiev uh, that Putin has been able to assert some kind of Russian defensive posture, I would say, right? With his with his back to the wall after all these years of NATO expansion, he he prevented NATO from grabbing the entirety of of Ukraine. Uh, there is a school in the ruling class that says put one NATO division into Ukraine. That is Jessica Matthews of the uh, Carnegie Endowment and the board of uh, Harvard University. She says one U.S. brigade and then one battalion from each of five or six NATO countries. I'm sure Canada will be one of them. If it comes to this, two brigades would make one division. So that would be one division. Um, however, the, the alternate school, Anne-Marie Slaughter from the uh, State Department, what a name. I guess her name is her program. She says it's a mistake to attack Putin in Ukraine because he's too strong there. Better to attack him in Syria. And then, lo and behold, now we see uh, something that looks like a plan to bomb uh, Syria. I would simply point out we've had this um, night of the living dead here. All of the neocons have risen from their graves, and that would be Pearl and Wolfowitz and Max Boot and the entire cabal from from 10 years ago right the authors of this catastrophic war and above all we have cheney cheney assisted now with his daughter put out in the wall street journal on wednesday uh, a tirade which i would i would read it as a call for a coup d'etat against obama quite frankly he has obama's been wrong about everything obama's a fool obama is blind um and then uh, obama is betraying the U.S. past and squandering U.S. freedom. It sounds like, you know, will nobody stop this man, right, in the uh, murder in the cathedral? Uh, but you get the idea. The goal of this, and, and McCain has said it, McCain wants everybody out, Kerry out, Rice out, and he wants General Petraeus, the CIA and the Pentagon, in General Keene, left over from the 2007 surge, in and uh, Ryan Crocker, who was the U.S. ambassador during the surge. So you get the idea. Uh, Crocker says you can't undo an invasion, but you can undo a premature disengagement by re-engaging. And of course, he, <laughs> he doesn't spell out what he means by that, but it's clear, right? He wants to start start the war anew. And behind this group are the Kagans, right? Kim Kagan, Institute for the Study of War. Frederick Kagan, American Enterprise Institute. This is the the surge again. Donald, uh, sorry, Robert Kagan, top advisor to Romney on foreign affairs, and his charming wife Victoria Newland, 
the foul-mouthed one, right? The blankety-blank, the EU. Right, right. From, let, uh, let me just recap Ukraine. here. Let me just recap, uh, Webster. So you're saying that uh, it's it's the old, um, you know, create the uh, disease in order to offer the cure. So they, uh, so NATO and their allies uh, train ISIS in this camp in Jordan, unleash them uh, in Iraq and Syria uh, to destabilize uh, in Iraq, uh, the case, in the case of Iraq, it's Prime Minister uh, Maliki, um, and that will give them the excuse to put boots back on the ground in Iraq or to... Maybe it doesn't, doesn't have to go quite that far. Remember, the goal is a coup in Baghdad, and the coup in Baghdad would be Maliki out, and then they say a national unity government. But what they want is Alawi, the classical U.S. and NATO puppet, Iyad Alawi. He has been... Uh, Prime Minister. This, by the way, is another reason that uh, WikiLeaks and Assange were a CIA limited hangout, because if you go back to the WikiLeaks pile, uh, lots of bad things about Maliki. Right? Maliki is demonized there, too. So Maliki has been demonized here uh, six ways to Sunday. But hasn't Iraq been under uh, zombies come out? But hasn't Maliki, uh, uh, Iraq under Maliki, been a, a pretty good client state for the United States already? Uh, I, I suppose it's a mixed picture. They're just that the U.S., uh, the, 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 let's call it the rogue network, right? The invisible government, because Obama does not command these people. Rather, they seek to command uh, Obama. They don't want Maliki because he's pro-Iranian. This, the, the argument begins and ends with that. If you're pro-Iran, they want you out. Now, of course, as you point out, there is this contradiction that. A number of these U.S. characters are saying, well, we want the Iranians to do the dirty work for us. Um, maybe a couple of things about that. Um, one is that some of the neocons are already trying to push the Iranians out. Max Boot, uh, for example, top neocon and one of the people in the uh, in the high levels of the uh, Romney campaign. Max Boot has got an op-ed in the, uh, what, the Wall Street Journal this week. No cooperation with Iran, demonize Iran, don't let this change. So they're worried about that. Um, and, of course, again, once the bombing starts, if it starts, then, um, then it might creep into Syria, might creep into, uh, into Iran. I would also point out Rouhani, right, the head of Iran, is warning the Saudis, saying to them essentially, you are creating a Frankenstein's monster, right? We know you are paying for ISIS, but... Uh, ISIS will not stop. ISIS is going to come to Riyadh and overthrow you uh, as well. It, it's like Philippe Egalité during the French Revolution, if you know that one, right? A member of the royal family tried to ride the tiger of the revolution, ended up on the guillotine, head chopped off. So that's that's what's looking at these uh, these Saudi royals. But again, the the thing that concerns me perhaps most is the U.S. coup, that you've got this ruling class, and this, this is not just neocons. This is the humanitarian bombers, the Samantha Power Group, the responsibility to protect people. They're, they're part of it. You've got the Islamophobia Group led by the neocon Bolton. But you've also got some Clinton Gate people, um, this law professor Jonathan Turley. So you've got a, a whole series of networks that are coming forward. And the, the main demand they have is that Obama is not the warmonger they want, and somehow they've got to get control of him and, uh, and force him to do these things. Because if you look at what Obama has done, it's a series of token actions. He's stalling. 
he doesn't do this for national uh, interest reason. I think he's he just sees that that it's bad for Obama. If you start a war, then six months into the war, you're going to be impeached, right? If you bomb now, you can count the months until you will be impeached and and removed from office because these are Republicans who uh, who hate him. And if they get the majority in uh, in November in the Senate, then they can uh, quite possibly. Uh, remove him from office. All right, got to jump in here. Got to jump in here. Webster Tarpley stays with us back on the other side as we continue to drill down on ISIS in Iraq. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Stay with us. Don't be afraid of the dark. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. To talk to Richard, call 416-360-0740. Welcome back. And according to informed Jordanian officials, this is being reported in a number of um, European uh, newspapers, Der Spiegel in Germany, members of the Islamic State of Iraq and the Levant, or ISIS, which is rampaging across uh, Iraq, uh, apparently trained in 2012 by U.S. instructors working at a secret base in Jordan, and we're learning from Webster Tarpley, uh, that they are being funded largely by members of the Saudi royal family. Here we go again. Uh, we're being suckered, apparently, once again. But I guess, uh, Webster, uh, the uh, the war party has decided that uh, we're n- they're not going to be able to sucker us with the weapons of mass destruction uh, lie this time. So is that why they've gone to the effort to create this uh, uh, this band of animals, uh, you know, in order to convince or to galvanize public support for some sort of military action? Well, if you look carefully, we're we're back to 9/11 and, and the idea that if you if you allow these uh, takfiris, right, these primitive uh, characters, if you give them a, a base or a sanctuary from which they can operate, then they'll organize 9/11. And I've written a whole book trying to show how how absurd that whole thing is, how this could could never be done. And in any case, if you're if you're concerned about that, as you pointed out before, you should be looking at Libya, where Large sanctuaries have now been available rather closer to Europe and, uh, and you know, the sea lanes uh, and so forth. Um, I would say um, one, of the, one of the funny things, from crazy things from the U.S. point of view, is you're expected to regard Syria, Assad of Syria, as an enemy. I don't think he is. I think he's fighting against terrorism. Uh, if you want to destroy the bases of, of ISIS, those are in Syria – you ought to work with Assad to destroy those bases. And, of course, Iran is the most stable country in the entire area. It's an island of stability and, and to some degree, of rationality compared to, uh, to ISIS. Uh, on the other hand, you're supposed to regard Saudi Arabia as an ally. Look at this. The Saudi elite, the Saudi royal family, is pouring money into terrorism in Syria and in, uh, in, in Iraq, the ISIS and somehow uh, that, that's tolerable. I, I, I recommend one of the ways to end this crisis very fast, a 24-hour ultimatum by the United States and whoever wants to join in saying, Saudi royal family, stop it. Stop funding those terrorists. No more logistics or else you're on your own. You can, uh, you can make your own plans for self-defense. And, of course, they, they can't do it. And it's also funny when you see Cheney, Cheney goes through, his, he's got this, as I say, this screed in the Wall Street Journal at midweek, which, which can, it's the, one of the most violent tirades against the president. And again, to me, it reads like an invitation 
to disgruntled military people to uh, to be insubordinate, right? To to look at a, a, the possibilities of a putsch. In in uh, in Cheney's uh, article, he says, "Oh, when I talk to people in the Middle East, they say, why are you betraying us? How come you're not supporting us?' Let's turn that around. I would say to the Saudis and the Qatar people and the entire Gulf, why are you betraying us by funding terrorism that is undermining this, this attempt by the U.S., whatever you want to call it, to have some kind of a stable government in, uh, in Iraq? And, and again, you've got to distinguish between the Obama White House, which is, again, a, a passive and uh, somewhat timid player, but nevertheless seems to represent uh, a moment of uh, breaking, right? uh, you know, putting on the brakes compared to the CIA and these other forces who are raving and, and this clique in the Congress around, around McCain and, and Lindsey Graham and the rest of them. Right? And I think a lot of people don't, they can't quite register the fact that Obama might have been trilateral commission, you know, 2008 and very bad at the time, but he has long since been surpassed in evil by these other people, uh, so much so that uh, when Obama ended the Iraq war in 2011, I think that was what the uh, population here wanted. And uh, the response to that was Benghazi. In other words, uh, uh, I call it a, an October surprise in the era of early voting. Right? You had to have the, the October surprise in September to make sure you'd impact all the people who were sending in their ballots in the, uh, in the beginning of October. That was done, in my view, by Petraeus, by Bolton, by Carter Hamm. And others, and the, the the goal of that was to make Romney the president, because all the neocons had attached themselves to Romney, and that's we're, we're seeing that same faction uh, in action now around Petraeus. Petraeus okay. is the leader of the neocon uh, faction. All right, let's take a time out, Webster. We'll come back. We'll do uh, one more segment and uh, continue to discuss ISIS in Iraq, and time permitting, uh, we'll get around to Ukraine as well. It's still okay. happening, folks. Ukraine. Let's not forget about Ukraine. Absolutely. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serra. Don't go away. When you look at the sky, ever wonder if someone's looking back? This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Webster Tarpley stays with us for a few moments uh, yet, and uh, Webster's uh, uh, website is tarpley.net, T-A-R-P-L-E-Y dot net. Uh, I just want to ask you a couple more questions regarding ISIS, and then I want to move into uh, Crimea and Ukraine and Putin. Uh, And and Baghdadi, is he being built up to be the next Osama bin Laden? Uh, It's possible, but again, remember... He's a graduate of a U.S. Uh, brainwashing academy for terrorists. I mean, he, he doesn't have the Guantanamo Bay degree, but like uh, somebody like uh, Belhaj, right? Belhaj, big warlord in Libya these days. He was only uh, in U.S. custody for a couple of years in uh, Bagram or someplace in, uh, in Afghanistan uh, and, and that theater. So, again, the, the fact of being four years in a U.S. prisoner of war camp and then being let out, this tells you something, and it's the opposite of what the stupid reactionary might think, right? Where reactionaries are all screaming, oh, you let them out, they fooled you, they went back to the fight. Yes, they go back to the fight, but they're going back to fight against Assad, Gaddafi, or in this case, uh, Maliki, who are U.S. targets. So they're, they're working for the U.S., right? Probably it's going to be hard to duplicate the, um, the, the tremendous media buildup, right? The 
hundreds of millions of dollars in in free publicity that were that were invested in uh, in Osama. Oh, and and um, Baghdadi, is, as you say, a graduate of the um, the military uh, training academy, was at Camp Buka. <laughs> yes, Buka. That's where they. Uh, that's where he got a light rinse, I would say. <laughs> a light rinse. A light rinse. All right, let's uh, let's talk about um, we, you know our attention has been diverted from uh, Crimea, uh, but you're but you're saying that uh, the, the war party has decided they're not going to confront Putin in Ukraine. He's too strong there, and so the idea is to take the war to. Uh, Russia, but do it in Syria. But let's talk about what's happening. Just bring us up to date on, on what's going on in, 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 uh, let, let in Ukraine. Let me just do it from, from, from the point of view of what we know here. This uh, Monday, the past Monday and Tuesday, we had a very high-level uh, event. It's called the World U.S.-Russia Forum, and it's uh, uh, people of a, of a very, um, again, very high level. We had... Uh, a former Russian prime minister, Stepashin, involved. We had Sergei Mironov, the head of the Equitable Russia Party, represented in the State Duma. We had a former uh, Russian ambassador to Washington. The, 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 the remarks that I would focus on, are those of Professor Stephen Cohen, who is a former professor at uh, Princeton and uh, NYU. He's also the husband of Katrina Vanden Heuvel, the, uh, the owner of The, the Nation, magazine and uh cohen is is a is a reasonable uh authority on on russian affairs in a time of great uh madness and his his points were two the first is that putin is under tremendous pressure from russian public opinion to step in because we've got this chocolate king right poroshenko the new president of uh of ukraine his government is still chock full of neo-fascists and neo-Nazis. Uh, one of them is this guy Yarosh, who threatened some time ago to blow up gas and oil pipelines. And lo and behold, this past week that has happened. But the idea is that Poroshenko is continuing to send his military to kill large numbers of civilians in Lugansk, in Donetsk, and so forth. And the one common denominator from all Russian spokesman at this conference, which was held in the Hart Senate office building. It was held in, a, in part of the U.S. Uh, Congress. The demand is call off this military attack on the civilians because the, the Russian public opinion can see this, and they're saying to Putin, what you're doing is not enough. We want action now. We want you to interdict these uh, these uh, genocidal moves by the by the Ukrainian forces and the demand that they're making is a no-fly zone. The U.S. has extended no-fly zones right in Iraq over many many years, the entire decade of the 1990s practically. And in that case, uh, what they're saying is, Putin, we want the Russian air force to interdict any military flights, any flights at all coming into eastern. Ukraine. That's that's number one, and that's what he's getting from his uh, from his sources, right? This guy Cohen. The second point that he makes is that if this crisis goes on, there is a tangible risk of tactical nuclear warfare, nuclear exchange. And I was very glad to hear this because I have been saying similar things about Ukraine since about 2004. It is the only place in the world where a clash between two military establishments with nuclear armament can occur. 
There's nothing like this in the Middle East. It's just not there. But in this case, we could have Polish NATO troops intervening in support of the Kiev regime, and they're more likely to do it because Poland wants a piece of Ukraine, right? Most of Ukraine was a part of Poland at one time or another. They probably want it back. You could have Polish troops coming in from the west, Russian troops coming in from the east. The Russian troops have nuclear weapons. The Polish troops would make an appeal to the U.S. for the nuclear umbrella, and you could see World War III taking off. And this is not hyperbole. This is not an exaggeration. This is very definitely something that could happen. We're, we're much too close to this right now. It would be time uh, for, I think, the, the United States and Russia ought to tell this guy Poroshenko, stop it, stop what you're doing. And, of course, the, the U.S. is doing the, the opposite. Right? We've got the neocon, again, Madame Kagan, also known as uh, Victoria Newland, right, the foul-mouthed one, uh, has been, you know, urging, you know, undoubtedly uh, spurring on Poroshenko and Yarosh and Chanibok and the rest of these uh, fascists, really, that's all we can call them, uh, to, to be more and more militant, to be more and more hostile uh, to the Russians. Right? So I think from Obama's point of view, this stuff is, is way out of his control. He, he uh, is confronted with a fait accompli uh, every day. Now, he ought to assert himself and put a stop to it, but... Uh, His presidency is is effectively over, <laughs> but I mean, it's so Poroshenko is being uh, encouraged to provoke Putin. They, it sounds sure. like they want nuclear war. Uh, the the idea when you're dealing with neocons, they will always tell you, "Don't worry, the other side will back down." That was the case, for example, just before 9/11. In the first months of the Bush administration, we had this American uh, spy plane, electronic uh, surveillance plane that was forced down. It had a collision with a Chinese fighter. It tried to land in Vietnam, but it landed in China. Remember that one? I do. I recall that. The, the neocons, as I write in my book, uh, 9-11 Synthetic Terror, that you were kind enough to mention before, the neocons at that point wanted to go to the brink. They wanted to say, give us back that plane within six hours, or we're going to do this, that, and the other thing. And they thought that they could get the, uh, the Chinese to back down. In this case, they would say, if you really go to the brink and threaten an all-out nuclear first strike, then then Putin will back down. I think this is a terrible mistake. These people, you can see, they're not reliable, right? Their whole track record is bungling and so forth, but they are, they're addicted. They're wedded to that kind of a doctrine. So uh, you're dealing with people who are, who are lunatics, right? And it's just 100 years since Sarajevo. And I don't know if this was covered in any of your... Uh, your talks there with uh, with Jim Mars, but Sarajevo, this was British intelligence acting through various Serbian uh, you know assets that they had to set off a general European war. I don't think there's any doubt about that. We've got some very interesting accounts that some top people in London were sitting around on that afternoon and they were saying, "Hey, has the news come in from?" Uh, Sarajevo, do we have any news on the telegraph and so forth? And then when it came, they they went into action. So that was 100 years ago this week. And so, uh, uh, I mean, it has happened. It can happen again. Well, what 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 has you more worried? The situation in Iraq, Syria with ISIS, or the situation in Crimea? Well, because these lunatic neocons and their responsibility to protect humanitarian bomber 
colleagues, they all see that as as a single engagement. In other words, it's a the struggle for world domination, and they they feel that they've been humiliated, and that somehow they've got to uh, to to assert themselves. I would urge them to look at it the other way. Uh, one of the things the point was made by uh, Sergei Mironov at this. Uh, this uh, uh, U.S.-Russian meeting on Capitol Hill, he pointed out that there is no major problem in the world that can be solved without the agreement of Russia and the United States. Right? He said this is the most important geostrategic relationship in the world. And I would read that as the offer of a condominium. It essentially says, why not have a joint directorate for significant parts of the world, of the United States and Russia. Uh, for example, it would be capable of saying to Saudi Arabia, stop it, and they would have to take that very seriously. You could also tell the Israelis and the Palestinians, here's the peace deal, this is what it's going to be, now you implement it. You could also go to China and Japan and say, look, um, these rocks in the ocean that you're so concerned about uh, do not... Uh, interest the rest of the world as much as they do you, you're going to cool it on that because we're not going to have World War III over this idiotic pile of rocks. And there are similar other points around the world, right? You could imagine a solution to Cyprus or any number of other things. Um, that would be uh, U.S. and Russia working together for war avoidance, right? Well, I, maybe I'm naive, uh, uh, Webster, but uh, Putin strikes me as someone that the West could very easily work with. I mean, it, yes. but, you know, he's everyone, everyone prefaces before they say Putin, they say former KGB uh, Putin, or they say, you know, he's the new Hitler. Uh, but not, as far as I'm concerned, sure. nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, I mean, as an Orthodox Christian, I see what he's done with the built, rebuilding 26,000 Orthodox churches in Russia. He's given them their land back. He's a he's an avowed uh, a free market uh, capitalist. Well, well, now, wait a minute. That gets to be a problem. I would just say this. Russia has always been concerned about overland invasions. Poland in the 1600s, Sweden in the 1700s, France with Napoleon in the 1800s, Germany and Hitler in the 1900s all come through white Russia and, and Ukraine. You have to understand that they have a right to, to a friendly government there. Oh, absolutely. So I agree. They're very concerned about warm water ports, and they don't like Nazi ideology because of the 25 million dead in World War II. No, Putin is... position it, is reasonable. You're right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Listen, I, I wish we had more time, Webster, but we will uh, we'll pick it up again. And uh, you're going to join me on Coast to Coast next week. Looking forward I'm to looking that. Looking forward to it. Thank you so much. All right. Tarpley.net. Thanks, Webster. RichardSerrett.com, don't forget to register, and as always, follow the truth.